Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Hollywood Growler. The Hollywood Growler podcast brings you everything you need to know from the world of craft beer in Southern California and beyond. I'm your host, Dan Kern, and my partner is industry insider, Connor Simpson. This is our sixth episode, and we are very excited to be recording live at Unsung Brewing Company. Unsung Brewing Company is a beautiful brewery here in Anaheim, California, located in the Make Building near Anaheim City Hall and near the Anaheim Packing District. We will be sitting down to interview Mr. Mike Crea, who is the owner of Unsung, in just a few minutes. Then we're going to sample some of the beer that they brew here so that we can tell you all about it and get you down to downtown Anaheim to sample the beer for yourselves. Each episode, we would like to bring you some of the news and notes from the world of beer and brewing. We call it the Hollywood Growler Headline. Here's Connor with this week's story. Thank you, Dan. The Hollywood Growler Headline for this episode comes to us from sunny San Diego, California. Mr. Mike Kosila, who is also a co-founder of the National Blues Museum in St. Louis, is spearheading the nation's first Museum of Beer, or MOB for short which is scheduled to open in San Diego sometime in 2020. The museum will feature hands-on interactive exhibits along with virtual reality walkthrough exhibits to bring the history of beer and the process of brewing to life for the museum's guests. The Museum of Beer will also have a carefully curated tasting room, which will feature beers from the San Diego Brewers Guild members along with bottled beers from around the country. With, the, with time, the organizers hope the museum will become another in the pantheon of San Diego's wonderful downtown attractions. Uh, I think this will make Ron Burgundy proud. So <laughs> that is this episode's Hollywood Growler headline. Dan? For updates on what's brewing with this story, along with all of our Hollywood Growler headlines, you can follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Growler, hashtag Hollywood Growler, and all of your favorite social media platforms. Connor and I are here at the Unsung Brewery, uh, sorry, Unsung Brewing Company with owner Mike Crea. Thanks for sitting down with us, Mike. This Thank is a you great very, tasting room. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So uh, you guys have a theme to your brewery that is close to our heart, um, comics. And uh, this is a superhero uh, comic book themed brewery. Can you tell us what your vision and, um, you know, what was the vision behind your theme? I pretty much was trying to um, meld a couple of passions that I had. Um, growing up, I was an avid comic book reader. I just immediately fell in love with the um, the lore behind the comic book superhero themes. Uh, I remember reading, um, you know, some epic comics back in the day, and that just kind of stuck with me, even though I wasn't able to keep up, um, you know, the hobby of reading comics. And then when I got into the beer industry, um, I just saw direct you know, kind of symbiotic relationship between the same folks that really enjoy the superhero themes um, and the comics, as well as the awesome movies they're putting out now, um, and some really, you know, kick butt independent craft beer. So definitely, were you at a were you at WonderCon this weekend? <laughs> no, I didn't make it because I was too busy here. <laughs> we were we were pretty busy. We had a, a, a podcast that involved. Um, you know, a couple of different artists that came by and nice. they brought a tremendous amount of people. So always working. Yeah. Well, I would, I would assume you'd get a crowd in during that weekend because I was over there, but <laughs> I saw pictures. It looked awesome. It's, um, a, it's a great event. So 
you had comic book artists uh, in that you were interviewing or doing interviews and having people do sign signings this weekend? We did have them in. Um, they were uh, brought in from the podcast Comics After Dark mm. that um, was able to to get them in here. Um, so, yeah, it, it went over really well. Comics After Dark always comes by for our anniversary as well, and it's just a really fun time. We give away a lot of prizes and, and cool things to do with comics and superheroes, so... Well, we're always uh, looking to network and, and talk about other podcasts, so that's uh, that's great that you've been hosting uh, Comics After Dark. Is there anybody else that you've hosted here over the over your time in Anaheim? That's uh, that's really it. Uh, we've been asked by um, a few others, but it just didn't really make sense with our theme. We've had sports podcasts. I wanted to do it here. I mean, the space is nice, and it's got a really cool acoustics to it. Um, you can have multiple people in here having conversations independently and still not get overwhelmed by the noise. So it's uh, it's been good for that. Uh, Anaheim is a huge place with lots of different neighborhoods. Uh, we've been going to breweries all over Anaheim so far uh, in just these six episodes, uh, but we haven't been to this area yet. This is our first time in the, in the Civic Center area. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about it and uh, how it's been booming recently. This area is uh, has just done some incredible turnarounds the past, oh, four years, I would say. Um, uh, starting with the packing house next door, um, that was, uh, from my understanding, a rundown, um, dilapidated building, and it just was, you know, on the verge of falling apart. Uh, builder came in and said, I see a vision here. I can turn this into this awesome food hall. So when we were looking for um, a retail location, um, at the time, the mayor, Tom Tate, was starting this Bruheim uh, philosophy where he wanted to uh, bring as many breweries to Anaheim as possible. So he did a lot of help with us in terms of knocking down some walls, um, getting rid of some red tape where it's a little bit quicker and easier for us to get approved and get up and running and start actually bringing in some profits so we can start paying off our leases and all that kind of stuff. Um, so when I was touring, I saw what that building was going to be like. and. The next stop was here across the street. Uh, this was an old radiator building built in 1921. Um, it started off as a marmalade factory for the packing house. So the packing house, they would drop off oranges off the, the uh, train that comes through here twice a day. And uh, they would take those oranges and make marmalade from it here. Uh, over time, this became like an auto mall uh, street with a bunch of different car shops. And this was the radiator shop for uh, Anaheim Boulevard. Um, so I had faith that the builder was going to be able to revitalize this building and we were the first tenant to come in um, and just fortunate that it worked out. Uh, they're going to keep going further south on Anaheim Boulevard, just closer and closer to Disney. You can kind of see Modern Times is going to be opening up Press Street from here uh, and it's just really exciting. It's going to bring a lot of people to the, uh, to the area. Well, you're uh, you're the first ones here for a while, if I remember correctly. There yeah. wasn't because you guys the, the whole space was like built up for other businesses, but it was just the one unsung brewery in here. And um, how that how that affect you guys? Was it good or bad that you were the only ones on this side of the street for a while? Looking back, I'm so grateful and fortunate. During the time, I was scared. I didn't know what was successful for your first few months having a brewery from a financial perspective. Um, and the other problem we had was it took us a long time to get our sign approved through the city. So we had no sign. It's just this black building. We're the only tenant in here. There's these giant hedges, which the hedges are there. So uh, the ABC license organization required those hedges in order to have beer and alcohol outside 
in that beer garden that we have. So it was extremely unassuming. Uh, people would walk by, they thought it was like, you know, people were having weddings there and renting out the space. So what we did was we put our little sandwich board out there and we would put little funny quips on there and some like beerisms and it would get people to stop and they would start to kind of walk in. And uh, so, you know, our fans kind of grew very, very word of mouth and organically. And, um, you know, it, 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 looking back, it worked out really, really well for us. And we held the space down for a year without having uh, food or any of the tenants, so. Um, we've been talking about the building a little bit. This is the Make building. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the builder's vision for this building was everybody that comes in here needs to have the ability to actually make something here. And so uh, we have our production facility over in Tustin, which does not have a retail component. And we needed to have a face for uh, retail customers. And in order to do that, we were able to put a little small pilot batch brewing system in here, which is an exact replica of our large brewing system. The thought behind that was we can test out a bunch of different recipes here on the smaller system. If they don't work, we can get rid of them and you know put them down the drain. If they do work, we'd be able to replicate it on the bigger scale. And so, um, so that's what obviously we do. We make beer, uh, Pally Wine across the hall uh, makes wine. Hobbs Barbecue, which is a staple here in Anaheim, is down the hall and a distillery is gonna be opening up behind us. We're kind of like the adult packing house, the way I like to describe it. Okay, that's cool. I just had that barbecue, it's delicious. <laughs> yeah, it is good. So a distillery, that's, that's really cool. So is it gonna be strictly um, vodka or whiskey or do you know, is it gonna be like everything or? Yeah, the owner's name is Jeff Dugan. Uh, he is the um, creator and owner of Portola coffee. Oh, nice. Yes. And so um, definitely knows how to do um, very, very well creative work. He knows how to curate um, incredible flavors. I think Coffee Palette is one of the most incredible coffee you know, palettes that are out there um, next to wine and beer. So he's going to start off doing um, like vodkas, I believe, and aquavits and um, going to be doing whiskey, which will obviously takes some time to uh, age in the barrels. So yeah. That's going to be the danger zone over here soon, man. Yeah, uh, definitely uh, <laughs> take advantage of the, uh, what's the what's the service uh, driving around for free uh, in this area? It's called FRAN, which stands for Free Rides Around the Neighborhood. Um, we're fortunate. We're one of the stops. Modern Times is a stop. Packing House is a stop. It's awesome. You download the app and you can literally just hop all along some of these main points. Eventually, it's going to go all the way down to pick up people from the convention center and Disney which uh, is just the more people, the merrier. And that's not a that's not a full bus. It's not full on public transportation. It's it's like little almost Disney style golf carts, uh, right? Yes, there's batteries, I believe. <laughs> oh, <laughs> is, that, is that what I saw earlier driving yeah. around? Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> um, but that's really great. That's um, especially uh, since the customers here are either you know over next door at the packing house. It's a lot of younger people. Uh, some of which are, you know, over 21 and some of which aren't. And then, uh, you know, over here, it's going to be people generally getting a drink or a cocktail. Um, that's a real, and parking is, you know, impacted to say the least in this neighborhood um, right now. Uh, that's a, that's a really nice service. And I think that has um, a lot of upside for business and for the, for the customer. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head with parking. Um, we do get a tremendous amount of Uber and Lyft um, visitors this way. 
Um, and there is parking. It just happens to be a couple blocks down the street and um, just want, trying to make it a little bit more convenient for people. So, and we're not stopping in terms of, I should say the city and the builders are not stopping in terms of uh, keeping you know the area flush with new places to go to. So that definitely is gonna keep happening. Um, let's talk about you for just a second because you have an interesting story. You weren't always in Southern California. Uh, you grew up in Cleveland and you were going to school in Chicago. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and uh, um, after college, um, got into the insurance industry, uh, specifically the health insurance industry, which is uh, so exciting, let me tell you. <laughs> um, but I was a uh, suit and tie, desk, desk job type of salesperson. Um, I did that for around 13 years. And um, the, the little uh, uh, divot in my timeline was I ended up having a, um, a, a very serious uh, heart condition that needed to be rectified with open heart surgery. And so uh, it wasn't one of those things where they said, yeah, this is going to happen down the line. It was, okay, we'll see you back here in about a month. Oh, my God. So it was just a lot to process. Um, and luckily for this type of disease I had, there was an outreach um, nonprofit that I was able to connect with and be with other people that had gone through these types of things, especially so quickly. Um, and I really um, was very grateful for that because it, it, it got my head on straight. So. Um, had the surgery, and then uh, two weeks later, there was a major complication, which um, was becoming very, very critical, and I had to be rushed back in for another open heart surgery, which uh, ultimately saved my life. So coming out of that, not knowing if you're gonna wake up, um, you know, my wife, my family were, were very concerned. And so, you know, I, I just feel lucky that I went through something like that because I wouldn't be sitting here right now in California if that hadn't happened. Um, it was very difficult to go back to that type of a day job. Um, I liked home brewing. I liked the fact of creating um, and that sort of thing. And I just felt like there was something else out there for me where I could enjoy myself. Um, I hate saying it, but it's true, life is too short. And so uh, my wife's brother lived out here and we decided, uh, you know, we kept coming out and traveling and, and visiting and visiting. We liked it so much. And we said, well, life's short, let's just make a leap and, um, and, and make it happen. So that's what we did. That's a, that's a great story. And it sounds like you're really just uh, motivated you to, you know, kind of got over any initial fears. You're like, you know what, screw it. Like, I'm going out there now. I'm going to follow a dream that, you know. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I never knew I was going to open up a brewery. Uh, I thought that was a big step, just moving to California. Um, I couldn't get a job, which is the saddest thing to say, and I'm okay saying it now because I feel like I'm, I'm where I need to be. Um, and so I, I volunteered at a, a local brewery around here, um, you know, pretty much doing uh, everything that, you know, you really can't imagine is part of brewing. But um, hard work is nothing I'm, I'm shy or I, you know, um, veer away from. Um, and so it really taught me a lot. While I was doing that, I was building a business plan. The thought kind of came into my head from uh, my father. He said, you know, Mike, why don't you find out, you know, what would it take to, to open up a brewery? And I said, well, that's a pretty good question. So I kind of sat down and it took me a good two years to kind of come and formulate a business plan and re uh, revise it and that sort of thing. Um, in the meantime, I ended up getting uh, into Chicago, the Siebel Institute, to get my master's in brewing certificate. 
anything that I've ever done in my life, I, I needed to read and educate myself as much as possible. It's one of those things with me. I think it's an OCD thing. I just need to know everything possible about it. Um, and so that gave me a really good technical background. The, the whys things happen when you brew. Um, and then the uh, experience of volunteering is where I got like the how sort of thing. And I'm definitely a hands-on learner. Um, some stuff is foreign to me in a book. I need to read it three, four times before it actually sticks uh, and that sort of thing. So, uh, You're also a certified Cicerone. Can you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's probably the, the one thing I'm most proud of. I, I have a, a genuine affection for the Cicerone um, uh, community and, and, and what it is. And the, the fact that it's hard and it's not easy to attain is what's what attracted me to it. Um, I, it took me two times to get the uh, certified. Um, uh, first time I did not pass, I got a 74%, which I, in my book that was always passing, but because it's Cicerone, you know, you need an 80% or better to, to, um, to pass. And so um, it was about a three and a half hour test, um, fill in the blanks, uh, essay, they also do a, a question that they'll videotape you on. And then there's a tasting portion where they give you um, some blind tastings of spiked beer with off flavors. Um, then there's a comparative section where you're comparing, can you tell the difference between a German half and an American half? And then finally was a um, customer service analysis on beers that people quote unquote had that you serve them that they claim something was wrong. You had to look at it and say, is there something really wrong with this beer? And if there is, what exactly is it caused from? So uh, you do feel well-rounded and there's also the food portion that I think is is really, really fascinating on how you can pair food with beer. So uh, Cicerone has levels of uh, testing. They have the sort of beer server level and then they have a, a second level. We're, I, I, I'm gathering you're talking about the most advanced level. Um, no, I'm not. It gets worse. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah, no. Mine's second level. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a, around 2,000, somewhere around that number uh, in the country that has this certification. They recently came out with Advanced Cicerone, and then the one after that is Master Cicerone. Master Cicerone is around, there's 15 or 16 in the entire world. One of them happens to be one of our dear friends that our head brewer uh, brewed with. And it's really good to have a person like that if you own a brewery because um, he comes in a lot and we we give him everything that we can and ask him to try and taste everything and, and get his opinion. And it's, it's fascinating. So all of that stuff that you were talking about is just for the second level of Cicero. And that's a, that's a commitment. Yeah, so I was already in the studying mode. Um, from Chicago that it just kind of carried over. Uh, I'd like to go get my advance. Um, hopefully, uh, if there's a period of time where things start to slow down a little bit, I could kind of devote some hours to that. But it, you said it right, it's a commitment. Um, besides yourself, you have two other main parts of your team here at Unsung that make the business go. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Ryan and Andrew? Yeah, so we're kind of considered the formidable trio in my opinion. Um, Ryan uh, kind of fell in my lap. It was um, one of those things where it just made sense. And, and he's it was, your head brewer. Sorry, yes, Ryan's our head brewer. Um, 
when I started opening, I had a, a brewer picked out and um, he was from Chicago and essentially got cold feet and wanted to stay home, which is fine. Uh, that happens. He, he, you know, some California is not for everyone. Um, uh, so he'd rather freeze. <laughs> well, I was done freezing. Yes, yeah. I've spent my brother uh, got his Ph.D. at University of Chicago. So I've spent some time up there uh, visiting never in the winter. But um, I can understand why why somebody might just say, no, I'd rather. I'd rather stay in Chicago. It's a beautiful city, and if it's if it's for you, it's for you. Um, it's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes um, Midwest is good for people that just love to stay. There's a tremendous amount of um, amazing people in the Midwest. So, oh, yeah. um, I was more concerned about weather, but um, <laughs> two around two or three days after that whole tra thing transpired. Um, Ryan applied for uh, this position, and we met, and we just. Um, kind of hit it off from the get-go. Um, there were some questions that I had, depending on how he answered them, made me understand if he and I could kind of speak the same language in terms of what we liked. One of the hardest things in this industry is if you have an owner who has an agenda and a different perception of what beer should be, and it's different than what the brewer, the head brewer has. Um, Hang on, we have a siren going by. Just one second, folks. It's a terribly narrow street. Oh, that's a big fire truck. Um, this is the part of the podcast where I remind our, our listeners that we actually go out to the breweries. Um, so uh, today we're uh, here well before opening, so there's not a whole lot of uh, background noise or people working. However, uh, Unsung is very conveniently located um, right here in the middle of the Civic Center area of Anaheim, and there is some traffic right outside on the street. Um, but that's just part of the adventure of doing live recording, so we're really happy to be here. And if we can try and pick up where we left off. That's, a, that's easy. <laughs> we were talking about Ryan and Al. Uh, you and he really were on the same page um, almost immediately. Yeah, it was pretty uncanny, um, but it was pretty much that meeting that we decided that our mission, uh, if we were to do this, was um, to always kind of ask ourselves, what's, what is best for the beer? Um, and to this day, we do bring that up, um, and it helps us kind of guide us through some difficult situations that can happen um, all the time in the brewery. And so um, we had an affinity for quality, and um, we wanted to make sure that that translated into the products that were in front of our customers. Andrew, uh, on the other hand, uh, so Ryan and I started everything. Um, we'd brew beer and we'd keg it. And then we would go out to local shops and say, hey, do you guys want to try our beer? Um, we're new. <laughs> Who are you guys? Like, where are you from? What's, you know, nobody knew a thing about us. And so um, they were really long days. But again, putting in that time and that hard work, you, you never forget that. Mm -hmm. And you never forget the commitment that, you know, you guys kind of make to each other and, and to the business. So after that became uh, extremely uh, lab laborious, we had um, uh, met an individual by the name of Andrew, who came on for the third hire um, we needed someone that was going to be able to do full-time sales. Andrew had come from another brewery and was extremely successful selling their beer. Um, to this day, I still don't know how he does it. Um, I kind of call him just like, you know, 
an, an ace, man. He just always comes up with, um, uh, you know, just amazing ideas, amazing numbers, and uh, always comes through. He's he's highly reliable, um, and uh, it, 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 that did not come off our first interview. Um, <laughs> but um, he's great at connecting people. He's great at building relationships, and he uh, will do anything. Uh, for the business, um, which is invaluable. We wear a ton of different hats still to this day. That's great. It seems uh, there's like a common theme um, with every brewery we've gone to so far, and it's it's the person next to you. It's the person that's gonna drive around with you and try to sell your beer and do all those hours and is able to sacrifice certain things for this project, for the dream. So, I mean, that's great to hear. Um, sounds like you guys have things under wrap as far as connecting and uh, getting the job done. Yeah, it's a good foundation. I, I'm really proud of, of both of them. Uh, this is going to be your third anniversary coming up in August, uh, and you're expanding your facility. Uh, I don't know if you're expanding in Tustin or expanding here. Is it in Tustin? Yes, Tustin. Can you walk us through uh, what's going to change, uh, just so people understand uh, the actual production side uh, is in Tustin, and we are sitting in the tap room and tasting room, and that's very likely where you would be coming to when you come and taste uh, Unsung's beer. So uh, what's the expansion going to be like? Well, we've expanded um, very, very uh, with a purpose in mind. We, um, you know, kind of inch by inch, we started to do demolition, make room, um, move tanks around uh, anything that made sense. But when you're when you're when you're owning a brewery, you have to make sure that when you do make any change in the brewery, you have to think about six, five or six years down the line. And is that change so permanent now that you just pigeonhole yourself from adding seven more tanks, that sort of thing? So right now, where our pinch is is having a big enough refrigerator coal box. Um, we have two right now, and. Uh, the thought is that we're gonna we're gonna combine them both essentially on our other side of our um, we have uh, we have two suites that are connected. We're gonna move it to the other side. By doing that, it'll allow us to bring in um, eight to nine more tanks without having to um, bring a lot more capital to the table um, and, and get those up and running. So we're just kind of struggling with uh, basically having to figure out what to do with beer for two to three days without a cold box. Um, so that's kind of the issue right now. But um, again, you're kind of planning down the road so that you can kind of survive before you need to make another change. So you're saying that you need Connor and I to come in, drink all of the beer that's not going to be in the cold box for a couple of days, and then and then uh, that'll solve all your problems. Hey, you can survive off a of beer. So yeah, it will. Yeah, it for would. a little bit. <laughs> that would help big time, honestly. Um, so we just uh, actually, uh, when we were recording over at Chapman Crafted, uh, we toured their facility and actually um, got to look in their very cold, cold box. It's freezing to walk in there. I felt like we needed a coat. Um, but it was huge. I mean, it was, you know, not quite as big as this room, maybe, but it was pretty much as big as this room. Um, what's the size uh, of the one that you have in Tustin right now? And um, if you can sort of paint a picture for the listeners, what are you expanding to? So both, both coal boxes we have now are about uh, eight feet by 11 feet each. Um, and we're going to um, combine them so that we can and add on a couple panels so we can get about 22 by 20 feet uh, 
square diameter. So, um, and then the bigger thing is the fact that we're gonna increase the height. Cause right now we can stack kegs three tall with pallet, pallet, pallet. Um, and by adding another layer from height wise, cause we have the space to add more height wise, um, it's a smaller footprint, so to speak. Again, you're just thinking down the road, okay, we add four more tanks, where's that keg beer going? Right. Um, totally. And you just don't want to ever have a situation where you're stuck and then quality suffers. And then you have a canning line also, so you gotta think about where the canned beer is gonna go also, right? Yeah, so what's crazy about canning is um, we kind of got into it um, at the right time. Um, we got our own canning line and it really, really took off. Um, everyone is very, very much more geared to having cans than, than bottles. And I, you know, I agree as well. Um, we've been doing, we started off doing a pallet of cans, which would roughly net us about 115, 120 cases of uh, 16 ounce cans. And then slowly we started doing a pallet and a half. And now we're at a point now where we're doing two pallets, right? So two pallets is taking us uh, majority of time throughout the day. And now we have more beer that needs to go somewhere that we don't know where to go. So for majority of the time when we can, it's uh, about 95% of it's going out that day, wow. um, which is great to know that everything that you're about to can is already sold. Um, so we feel like, again, uh, growing organically, we're going to make little more adjustments to be able to can more um, and, and really let it kind of take off gradually. And uh, where do the cans go? They go to any stores? Is it strictly the tasting room? Or how do you guys distribute? What's the deal with that? So we distribute all over Orange County, LA, and uh, the IE currently. Um, so we'll have an IE route, an LA route, and then um, Orange County route usually takes about two days, that sort of thing. So, um, and then we'll, um, always have so like when we first started canning everything would sell out right away um and we we said well, why, why can't we just always have cans in the tap room for people and so we started to be a little bit more self-conscious about that and so some of our mainstays we're always going to have going forward um just because we get a tremendous amount of visitors in here and a lot of people from out of town you know and a lot of people would like to um take the beer home or bring it back to their hotel, that sort of thing, so. Um, and we've been talking about the cans themselves. We've been, we're going to talk more about the beer that's inside the cans, but uh, one of the big features about your cans is uh, along with the superhero theme, uh, the, some of the canned beers have superhero characters or supervillain characters, and you've had um, artwork put on the cans to reflect that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's that's unique. People are always looking for a good brand and a good design on the cans. Yeah, so I mean, very similar to the fact that like me, Ryan and Andrew were the foundation here, but there's a, uh, another component that uh, we wouldn't be where we're at if it wasn't for him. Uh, his name is Sean Kelly. He has a um, essentially his own branding business down in San Diego. And I had seen some of his work with previous breweries and I just thought it was incredible. Um, he has uh, an amazing ability to um, dream something up in his head and then actually make it a reality. Most of the time he tells me things and I say, I say that's not possible and he always proves me wrong. <laughs> um, so we kind of dreamt up this thing about well, what if the cans looked like an issue, like a comic book issue uh -huh. uh, based on these characters that we developed. 
And it really originated, it's kind of funny, it originated from the fact that we, a lot of breweries are having a, um, a hard time coming up with names for their beers. So there's a lot of um, names that are being floated around that have already been used. And um, to be respectful to other breweries, and quite frankly, just to not go through all the BS, we decided to come up with our own words <laughs> that um, uh, we had a pretty good chance that they wouldn't have been duplicated by now. So that's kind of where it originated from. Um, and then we just kind of geeked out and went all, all in. Uh, each character has a backstory um, and the backstory somehow intertwines into the beer, whether it's a flavor profile or where the beer originated from or the superpowers are translated into the flavor, that kind of thing. That's, that's so awesome. Um, you know, just uh, saying that you made up some words that makes a lot of sense because I'd be at the, I'd be at a bar or something and see your beer on top and I'd be like, the meta plex meta you know you have some different uh names for your beers but my personal favorite the as far as the drawings go is that one over there the brain in the jar floating um but it's just funny how you guys uh, incorporated all that it's very creative and original and you know that's that's you guys sting i mean that's awesome thank you, you so much can you give us some examples of some of the characters that are the most popular characters and the most popular beers yeah, so the, the one that he was referring to, uh, his name is uh, Propellerhead, and his story is, so it's an American Amber with coffee. Um, the, so that's just coffee floating around the brain? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he was actually a, um, a world-renowned engineer, and he liked really, really good coffee, so he would kind of go around the different areas in uh, South America and... Um, in Africa and, and tried different coffee. And he ended up having a, um, a terminal illness, which was essentially degenerating his entire body. So being an engineer, he came up with this thing called the propeller head, which is essentially a projection of his old self. But all it really is, is his brain being kept alive and it's being sloshed around with coffee in there. And it's got these two little propellers on the side. And so he can still communicate. He can still be the same person, um, but he's not an actual physical form. Uh, and his superpowers are telekinesis and that sort of thing. And so that's kind of how the coffee uh, translated from that story into the beer. And that's, that's, that's very clever. That's, it's, it's very awesome. I mean, know, like, it's just, not derivative either. You didn't yeah. steal that from a comic book company. Like that's completely original and made up and could be a, you know, that could be a member of the next TV show that comes on, you know? So wait, is he a villain or is he a hero? Okay. So we, we set out to make sure that he was, um, he was independent. He was in the middle. Okay. He I sometimes like leans this way, sometimes leans that way. Um, well, I mean, he is running on coffee on his brain 24-7. I'm sure he gets a little nutty sometimes. Yeah. He's almost a guy that does a, has a terrible personality. He's very direct and very, very um, robotic in a sense. Mm. Uh, like, you know, analytical and that sort of thing. I'm trying to imagine what his voice would sound like. Well, um, <laughs> or do maybe just, like Hal a little bit. <laughs> or, or, the, or do you just the, hear it in your head? Can he talk? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he can definitely talk. So... We did a comic for our first uh, anniversary, mm -hmm. and we had so much going on last year that we weren't able to follow it up with part two. It's actually a five-part series. So we have part two written, and actually Propellerhead is in there, and you get to see a lot more of how he interacts and talks and how he became who he is. You're going to find that difficult without your coffee, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm a just a... Uh, fan of 2001. <laughs> huge fan. 
<laughs> so kind of uh, giddy over here. Yeah. No, it's fun. I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you. This is sort of a golden age of of comic book movies. Uh, you know, I would have killed for this stuff when I was a little kid. You know, we were stuck with uh, the Super Friends and uh, Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, and you know, uh, that's true. Live action was you know not that great, and then um, yeah. although Lou Ferrigno was great, you know, he was a one in a million person to play the Hulk. Yeah. That's really the one show that um, sort of is enduring, uh, along with uh, Linda Carter's Wonder Woman. Yeah, Adam but, West, all that. Yeah, but you know, the even the Batman show was very campy, and uh, you know, people. Some of that stuff holds up a lot better than than other parts. You know, the cartoons, especially geared for kids, you know, don't really hold up very well at all. Um, but now we have these wonderful live action CGI cartoony blends that um, you know are more more epic than you know the greatest movies of all time you know in 20 years people are going to be holding up you know Captain America Part 2 with Godfather Part 2 because it's a layered <laughs> it's a layered movie with more performances than you think there are yeah um, the, the, those movies are awesome I think the the my first exciting, I think I've seen this movie more times in the theater than anyone, which is Tim Burton's Batman. And that was where it really turned into, okay, let's get serious with these characters and let's put out a real actual good movie. And um, yeah, it's it's great, great time if you're into these things to, to be alive. Yeah, I mean, but even that was 1989. Right. And there was a big period where there, was there wasn't much else. Yeah. Um, well, like I said earlier, WonderCon was just this weekend, and that thing was sold out. <laughs> and it's the, to put it in perspective, the Anaheim Convention Center is a ginormous building, and there was not one room that was not filled with people for three days over comics. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, so, and that's not even the biggest one. You know, yeah, that's not even no, San Diego. Yeah, yeah, that's not even San Diego. And it's like, it, I just, it's like, there's no music, there's no performances. It's just people talking about comics. And it's just, it's it's incredible. You meet so many great people. A couple what? smelly people, but <laughs> a lot of great people, a lot of talent too. Even now, like every day I'll see somebody, they either have a Captain America shirt on or they have some other type of superhero reference, Superman tattoo, that sort of thing. So I think a lot of people like me growing up resonated a lot with some of these characters and uh, some of the daily activities that they had to face. And, um, you know, who doesn't like a superhero? I mean, it's just one of those yeah. things. Okay, here's a question. Yes. Have you, since you guys are making original comics and it's, they, they sound pretty good, honestly. Um, do you want to push that more? Do you want to be maybe more involved in the comic world or are you just going to try to keep it as a focus of just a label for the company? I would, I'll go as far as I can where it's uh, back to our thing where it's not detrimental to the beer. Okay. You know, I, I'll never forget how we started this um, and it's, you know, if the beer is not good, then um, what's the point of everything? Mm -hmm. So um, fortunately, um, I have a, a pretty good team now where I'm able to hand off a lot of stuff to people. Um, you know, the comic was more of a, a thing to, you know, get a, a, an artist some, some visibility, um, get one of our employees to, you know, always wanted to be published and he, <laughs> he, he wrote it from uh, the top down. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we still kind of do a little bit more of those types of things when it comes to our branding, merchandise, and sort of. But really, um, it always is going to be about the beer. So. Okay. I mean, that's that's where the 
business is. I mean, we can't. We got to find a weird line with that, but yeah. yeah. So. Well, actually, one more question. When when you guys first opened, they came in, and you guys were doing. Uh, I don't know if you still do it. It's like you get a growler fill and you get a comic book with it. Yep, still too to this day. That's awesome. Yep, we have that a comic is so cool. So. Uh, it's funny because sometimes if we're really, really busy um, and we forget to mention it, like people don't forget it. They, they're like, yeah. so I can go get my comic, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's over there on the, on the shelf. Go right ahead. So. Oh, that's wonderful. So you have, uh, you have a shelf. I don't want to turn away from the microphone while I talk. What's ironic about that, the shelf and a lot of the parts in this tap room is um, virtually almost everything is donated. Really? Yeah. Wow. From our fans like all the figurines and everything or? yes wow so all the the little pop guys that are uh above the bar um where our logo is um all of those were brought in and it just is growing and growing and growing and it's yeah. bad it's it's rad because a lot of these people have these at home and they got them a long time ago and it's in a box or something and they're like well it should be here so uh our um one of our number one regulars, his name is Stu, we uh, donned him as the curator of Unsung. And so he has taken over all of the shelving and actually put in some really cool mock-ups of uh, different scenes from different movies. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I just noticed um, a Dr. Octopus uh, serving beer to some stormtroopers up there. Yeah, and then the one, the one stormtroopers <laughs> playing darts, but because they got horrible aim, he actually threw an arrow at Thor, and there's one in another guy's eye. So um, little funny little tidbits. Another one is someone put Thor's hammer on the toilet, and the guy needs to go to the bathroom, and he can't get it off. So um, we've, uh, we, we like to have a lot of fun, and we like to have a lot of interaction from... Uh, the people that supported us from day one. So uh, it's also funny that the guy who has to use the bathroom and can't because of Thor's hammer is Black Bolt, <laughs> exactly. who uh, can't uh, talk without making an awful mess. <laughs> exactly. Um, I also <laughs> saw that uh, he did a mock up of uh, some of them are, are maybe a little political. He's got a he's got Voltron uh, beating up uh, Lion O. So you know that's a that's a little bit of favoritism there. Yeah, I was but, donated too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan. Um, but uh, some of them are more literal. Going back to the comics, he's got, you know, a, a Hulk, a large Hulk figurine uh, pounding on a large uh, Logan Wolverine figurine, which, of course, uh, if you're a comic nerd, you know that Wolverine was introduced uh, to go take down the Hulk while the Hulk was roaming around in Canada. So that was a that's a, a, a famous scene right from the comics. So wait, there's wait. there's a lot of care and a lot of thought put into that. It's one of my favorite series, yeah. Wait, Hulk's Canadian? No, no, no. He, no Logan's Canadian. Oh, Hulk, okay. Hulk just yeah, happened to be, to be up, up in Canada. Okay. Fighting a uh, Wendigo, I think, or something uh, like that. I was going to yeah. say, Canadians are way too nice. And then some of, the, some of the Star Wars figures, I actually raided my parents' house and, and grabbed some of mine and my brother's old Star Wars toys. Um, the, another funny thing to add is the, the Batman shelf. There's a news article and it's, um, me when I was eight years old, I got to meet Adam West in, uh, my local mall. And, um, I got these Batman socks on these Converse Batman. And it, I just looked like a total, which, which is what I was a total, uh, geek. So <laughs> that's fantastic. That's, that's, that's great. You can see the passion here when you walk into the room. I mean, it's just all decked out and just art everywhere. It's, it's pretty incredible. I'm loving it. Um, you were telling us a little bit before we before we started today 
that uh, you had done a Disney tasting seminar. Um, tell us how that came about and tell us what it was like trying to, we always talk about in the podcast, trying to translate the technical aspects of brewing beer uh, to a broader public who, you know, uh, I think is very interested. Uh, tell us about uh, what it was like talking to a Disney audience about beer tasting when they, you know, you don't, there's definitely going to be people out there who literally know nothing about brewing. Yeah. So the cool thing with the food and wine festival at Disney is um, they have these amazing chefs that come in and they'll do these um, cook uh, cooking seminars that are live. And uh, Disney was aware of the big craft boom and they wanted to, what I think what happened was three years ago, they ended up selling way more beer than they sold wine, but they didn't want to change the name of it, but they said, okay, there's something here. So let's add a beer garden. And um, they came and actually uh, found us and sat down and had a meeting with us. And um, it was wonderful because I got to share my passion with them um, and explain to them uh, uh, what, what this is about and what we're doing. And it resonated with them because of the whole character type thing. Um, they really, really appreciated that and thought that their customer base would gravitate towards something like that as well. And, and they're going to buy your characters eventually because that's what they do. Uh, <laughs> or they'll sue me for <laughs> <laughs> what you care. So yeah, so the past three years I've been doing um, these seminars at the Food and Wine Festival. And I love it because every year I feel like the education level of people when it comes to beer just gets better and better. And that means that somebody is doing something right. Um, so I do run that line of being too technical and um, making it a little bit more easy. And listen, when someone's explaining something to me, I say, you know, treat me like a one-year-old and I need to figure it out from that point of view. But um, the way I can tell is like some of the questions that we get um, during the seminar and then afterwards the, there's people just waiting to, to talk and and ask some more questions and uh, it's great. Um, the coolest thing about that is that um, nobody, in my opinion, um, can talk about uh, my beer or what the brand here is better than myself. And so um, I'm always conscious of the fact that um, it's, it's not a nerve wracking thing to be able to uh, talk to a number of people about this because uh, it's my passion. And so, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough that people really, really um, enjoy it. So we, we think more and more people are interested. That's why that's why we're trying to do this. We yeah. think, of, you know, hopefully once people hear an episode, they'll come back for, for another episode because it is interesting. Mm -hmm. And everybody's had a different take. There's some common themes that have run through our interviews. Uh, but just like everybody has a slightly different taste in beer, almost all of the breweries around here are truly doing something different. You could go to 20 different breweries just in Orange County, and you're gonna have some styles that recur, but you're also gonna have styles that you won't be able to find anywhere else. Uh, I'm looking at the sign behind your bar. Um, I'm seeing a, a plum saison. I know I haven't seen that anywhere yet, you know, and that just jumped out. And I'm sure there's more if I read down the line, but the point is um, that with craft brewing, it's a craft. And I think people are very, uh, starting to get turned on to that rather than, um, you know, just drink the same old big corporate beers that they've been drinking their whole lives. 
I think that they're getting turned on to the craft aspect of it. I think they're getting turned on to the idea that um, things are, they can go a different place and have something different and then go to another uh, tap room and have something uh, uh, that's kicking down a whole different door for them. Yeah, and you know that I think that's what Dan and I's uh, our goal is just to go you guys and get your story out. And we're here; we just want to learn. So coming to uh, here today, I mean, just learning everything that that drives your passion and like your certain niche and comics and art. I mean, it's it's incredible how everybody has a different viewpoint on this industry, and that's the beauty of it. And that's why I don't see it going away. I only see it getting bigger and bigger. And you know, there's like rumors of like, oh, it's gonna pop. You know, it's gonna hit some sort of point. And I'm like, I don't think there's gonna be because there's so many different variations uh, of stories and what people want to do and how show their passion and you know, hard work. People appreciate it, and all these places, you guys bust your asses to like get this going man and you know it's incredible what you do so uh like i guess what i'm trying to say is thank you for your service wow this is the first time i've ever heard that yeah (laughs) but it's it's not too far off the mark i mean if if people knew what went into if people knew what really wouldn't knew what goes into you know baking enough loaves of bread to have you know a public customer a set of customers Mm -hmm. if they knew what it took to brew enough beer to satisfy a public customer base, you know, just the the labor alone, I think they would appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, and that's really where our our name uh, originated from. Uh, we were going to be <clears throat> I signed the LLC as Hero Beer Company at start, mm-hmm. and um, one of our trademark lawyers um, said, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute! Um, there's about 45 to 50 different breweries across the country that can sue you, so maybe not start your business off that way." And uh, my good friend, uh, our brand manager Sean, that I mentioned earlier, was the one who, um, you know, was smart enough to say, "Well, look, how do we get them to that word?" And we came up with the word "unsung." And if you just look at it on paper, or you see it out in a bar, it really doesn't do too much for you. Um, but we hope that you know. The, the comical sense, uh, no pun, is when you come into our tap room, it kind of smacks you in the face. Oh, I get an unsung hero. Um, but if you, if you have a conversation with us, you slowly start to realize that from a literal standpoint, there's a tremendous amount of work that goes into creating a finished product in the beer industry. And a lot of it is uh, just overshadowed. People don't really see it, um, but it's very, very dangerous. It's long hours. Um, sometimes horrible conditions, um, very, very, very dangerous. In the summer, yeah. Yeah, in the summertime, not many breweries have air conditioning because these warehouses, what we need to to facilitate these huge tanks, never had air conditioning. Um, And so it's our view that the unsung heroes are the the brewers that that go through all of this just for the love of it so that they can make this perfect liquid that's in front of you. And so it worked out well. to to kind of play off the the comic theme as well as well let's let's get down to it what are we really talking about one of the uh, quality control things that we were talking about earlier before we started is that uh you've decided not to do flights which is something that almost every tasting room uh does in some capacity in fact they they feature it they push it that's one of their big things uh tell us what you do that's a little bit different and uh why you do it a little bit differently 
So I'm gonna get murdered for this one and that's okay because it's good time for me to explain it a little bit. <clears throat> and my tap room staff can explain it way better than I can. And when I say that, I mean in a very, very, um, you know, non-threatening type of way. But <laughs> my, my biggest problem is, um, so before I started the, the brewery, I, I went around to a, a lot of breweries and I took a lot of notes and I, I just pretty much wrote down what I liked and what I didn't like and what I thought made sense and what I thought that didn't make sense. And um, going through the, uh, the Cicerone certification um, and going to school for brewing, you start to realize just extremely how volatile beer is in the finished product. Uh, the number one killer of it is oxygen, and it's everywhere, okay? Once it leaves the keg, it's a ticking time clock until it is not the product that you intended it to be. Um, and so I, I don't know where it first became normal for everyone that if you open a brewery, you have to have this nice little wooden thing with, with flights for everybody. But it just became what well, everyone else is doing it. Um, why aren't you guys doing it? And the 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 reality of it is I can't control anything that leaves this place. My, once it's out of my hands, it, I, you know, it could stay in a car that's 120 degrees. Someone could forget to put it in the, in the refrigerator. Um, but what I can control is inside the space. And uh, typically when you get a flight, and I understand the flight concept, people want to try something before they get it, um, a full pint of it. But the flight concept is um, you're hoping that they try it in order. You're hoping they're not starting with the Imperial Stout and then they're going to your light ale that now tastes really weird uh, because some of the oils in your mouth and from the Imperial Stout are mixing together and creating some weird flavors. Um, you know, if there's one that you really like, but you decide to get back, I'm gonna drink that one last. Now it's been sitting there. We're talking about two to four ounces of beer. It doesn't take very long for that to become room temperature. Uh, majority of our beers have a tremendous amount of hops. Um, and, and hops are extremely volatile. So I'm trying to preserve what the beer was originally intended to be um, as much as possible. So we don't do flights. We do two tasters at a time. We think two tasters at a time are enough. You can order as many as you'd like. Um, if you get a taster and you don't like it, we'll replace it with no extra cost. And we tell people, if you get a beer, a full pint, and you don't like it, we will replace it at no extra cost. So we don't mean to be arrogant in any stretch of the imagination, um, but the, the beer industry is very cutthroat. And what I mean by that is, <laughs> oh, they're going the one, other way now. Yeah, at least that one went by quickly. Uh, what I mean by that is, um, especially in Orange County, the beer industry has been uh, growing and growing and getting extremely competitive. Uh, you can go into any store right now and you can literally go crazy trying to pick out a beer. If someone happens to come across our beer and taste it, and they don't have a good experience, whether that's from service or whether it's just from a sensory evaluation of that beer, it's highly unlikely they'll ever see our beer out there and decide to try it again. So with that thought in mind, with the competition, um, we do everything we possibly can on the back end and inside our space to make sure that that product in front of you is uh, true to intention. That's as good a place as any to take a quick five and do some pours so we can taste only two beers at a time. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll be right back with uh, Mr. Mike Crea, who's been so generous with his time and given us his um, 
true and honest insight, not just about comics and about setting up a business, but about uh, the back end and service. He knows that he's going against the grain on that particular point, but um, he isn't afraid to be, to be uh, outspoken about it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to part one of our episode uh, recorded at Unsung Brewing Company. We want to thank Mr. Mike Crea for hanging out with us. He was uh, very generous with his time and his hospitality. Um, in part two, uh, we're going to taste some beer and get into uh, exactly what he does and uh, what his brewer does to make uh, his beer stand out. And I think you're going to uh, be very impressed, even if you have a lot of experience brewing. Uh, some of the techniques that he talks about are uh, pretty advanced, wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely. I was uh, honestly more impressed with his comic knowledge. I mean, that was just fun. <laughs> um, but Mike was a great guy, and he really went in depth with uh, his recipes. I mean, without giving out too much information. But great guy. Uh, if you have any interest in comics at all, you definitely need to get over to Unsung. It's, it's so awesome and original, and they got a really good theme going on. So original that's really the word uh they came up with original characters and original backstories to be some of the title characters for their beers uh and we talk and laugh about that all through part two you're really gonna love it so tune in next time for the hollywood growler Woo. see you guys next time cheers